In this episode of the Ulster Rugby Lad podcast, I'm joined by the world's most popular rugby YouTuber, Squidge Rugby. He has over 130,000 YouTube subscribers and his videos have been watched millions and millions of times. Robbie Owen is the man behind Squidge Rugby. While still in his early 20s, he was looking for a way out of a job he hated. He quit and set about making funny YouTube videos about rugby which blended tactical analysis with humour, bringing a fresh and unique insight to rugby that proved so popular it's now become his full-time job. Squidge is a rugby obsessive and as you'll hear, spends hours watching and re-watching games, making notes and thinking of jokes for his videos. His video on South Africa's World Cup win was retweeted and endorsed by none other than Razi Erasmus. If you don't know him already, I highly recommend you go and watch some of his videos on YouTube. In this episode, we discuss the journey from boring office job to becoming the most popular and respected YouTuber in the world. The insane amount of work that goes into every minute of his videos, his thoughts on the modern game, players to look out for, Irish rugby's rise and fall, and we have a bit of Ulster Rugby chat as well, just to keep on point. I really enjoyed speaking to Squidge, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Thanks so much for joining me and doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to speak to you because I've been a fan of the videos for a while now and love love the content you're putting out. Um, thank you. And thank you for having me as well. Uh, such a pleasure. The, the first thing that I want to do for, for listeners, I expect most people have, have watched your videos or, or heard of you. I think it would be really interesting to hear from you about what it is that you, how you would describe what you do, mm-hmm. because I, I suppose it's, it's quite unique. So how yeah. would you describe your output? Um, so it's I mean, <laughs> that's quite a good question. It's hopefully funny analysis is I think what I'm going for. Um, when I first had the idea of the channel, it was leaning more on the funny side. And then when I started writing the, the first video I did was on the Ospreys because I'm an Ospreys fan. I kind of started to drop points of analysis in there and I kind of wanted to have like a backbone of a story that was being told in terms of how the Ospreys became so... Am I allowed to swear? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Perfect. Because you, you can't find non-X-rated words to use the Ospreys last couple of seasons. Um, shite. You know, let's start simple and we'll work up from there. Um, so yeah, I kind of began writing that thing and I kind of had a few ideas in my head. Um, and when it, it clicked together, I sort of realised, oh, this is what it is. It's this... And I've got far better than the analysis have gone on. And if you look at kind of the first few videos, you go back to them now, the analysis I'm doing is quite simplistic compared to, not, not to kind of praise, sing my own praises, but I've, I know I've got far better at what I'm doing and what I'm automatically looking out for now yeah, yeah. Um, stands at a far higher level, I guess. Yeah. The reason I said it is unique. And I suppose to, uh, to someone who's used to just watching rugby on TV, I suppose like there's a lot of fans out there uh, used to sort of traditional media, watching yeah. rugby, uh, perhaps BBC, ITV, uh, but on Sky Sports, it's very different. There's a new media, again, like uh, YouTube is becoming the way people consume content. Yeah. Increasingly, sports content as well. People want to be able to engage, but don't want to spend hours pouring over information, which I suppose yes. is why, why you're there. And uh, I know, having done a tiny amount of video editing, how long it takes to put yeah. together a, ver- a very simple <laughs> video. And I definitely couldn't go into the sort of depth or do it uh, 
meticulously prepared like you do. Yeah. How, how long would it take you on average? I know it's probably a very difficult question. Say a 10 yeah. minute video, how long would that okay. be? Um, I've got far quicker at it as well, as well as getting better at the analysis. And also I now get through that far quicker because uh, that's kind of the first yeah. stage is the, either the research if I'm doing a video. So at the moment I'm working one on the spring box winning the World Cup. Um, and that kind of involves right through from re-watching games and going through all of that and then just reading up as much as I can around it. If I'm just doing a one on a particular game, it's quite easy in that I know where all the material is. I can just re-watch that a couple of times and make notes. And so I've got like my notebooks right next to me. Um, I've got sort of stupidly detailed notes. But I could tell you that in the fourth minute, or, oh, there's a, there's a yellow card. That's quite an obvious point. Six minutes and 29 seconds in, France has a lazy chase against Scotland. And it's kind of, it's like notes like that. Um, so I go through and I make these videos as I can. Um, and then I, I write and I spend what my background's in. And so I, I'm a meticulous kind of rewriter and redrafter. Yeah. And then once that's done, and once I've recorded it, um, I then get into the actual editing bit. And it used to take me about an hour and a half to two hours per sort of minute on screen. Um, and I've managed to get that right down just for getting quicker at it. And also, I think my process has changed slightly in terms of what I put out. And I know if I'm making a video on a particular game, it has to kind of go out inside a week of that, that match finishing. So I tend to be a bit, I don't rush it, but I'll put fewer kind of hidden bits in there than I, yeah. I used to, I would if it was a, a different kind of thing. Um, so I've got that down to about maybe 45 minutes to an hour per minute on screen, um, which is still sounds like a lot, but it's a big saving on where I was yeah. a couple of years ago when I started. Yeah, because I suppose um, there's a balance to be struck between yeah. getting something absolutely perfect and also getting it out in time. Uh, and it strikes me it must be quite obsessive. Do you just sort of go down that rabbit hole of, of analysis <laughs> and the time disappears? Or is it, I, I imagine particularly the World Cup must have been a particularly intense experience. Were you trying yeah. to get through so many games? Uh, it's a bit of both. There are weekends in which I kind of, do find myself thinking I just I can't look at anything egg shaped like I can't make an omelette this weekend like, it reminds me of a rugby ball uh whereas most of the time actually I do love it and I found myself just through looking for things more closely I've kind of found myself in this situation whereby like I loved the Scotland Italy game from the Six Nations which everyone else was saying it was dull and kind of very little happened but I found myself looking for details and looking for things specifically um so in some ways i think it's really added to the way i watch rugby and i really appreciate that um as at times it is just exhausting and there are times during the six nations and world cups in which i've just kind of i wanted it all to be over i've never wanted to look at another another rugby match i've the week leading into the final of the world cup i think partly because wales just had that kind of heartbreaking with two minutes to go penalty lost in the semi-final um through to then having gone through this kind of like hugely exhausting period i remember having a thought one day and saying to my kind of my best and closest friend saying to her just i don't want to watch the final like i can't bring myself to and i got over that inside about 20 minutes just complaining um every now and again i have moments like that but on the whole it has i think it's done more to add to um my love of an understanding of rugby than it has harm um there was basic sort of isolated incidents yeah and is it self-taught you go into quite a lot of detail, you're perceptive, and the level of insight provided in the videos is, uh, is great to, to actually understand the game better. 
How did you learn that? Was it a case of just pouring over hours and hours of detail? Did you have like anyone that you idolized in that respect, any sort of rugby analyst that you respected mm. and, and spoke to? Or how, how, how did you get to this level of understanding? It's, it's something I would love to, to be able to do more myself. Yeah. And uh, you're just interested. Is it pouring over rugby books or, or how, how did you get there? Um, I think so when I was... I sort of, you know, my dad had always watched rugby and always been around and in the house, being Welsh, it was kind of, it was obligatory. Um, and then I, I started to get properly into it when I was about 12, after sort of the 2008 Wales Grand Slam. That kind of was the moment it clicked for me and I became slightly obsessive. Um, and I remember at some point around 2009-10, um, Gwyn Jones, who was a former Wales flanker, and he was a pundit on Scrum 5, kind of the, the Welsh rugby show, highlight show, him doing an analysis piece on Marty Holler when he was at the Ospreys, and just talking about the way he picks his breakdowns to enter, um, and him doing this thing where the Ospreys would deliberately, like, late, they would deliberately allow the tackler to make more ground, so he'd be isolated in front of Holler, who was waiting just behind the defensive line. And before seeing that piece, I it never occurred to me the tactics kind of went beyond some teams kick the ball, some teams run the ball, and that was kind of the extent of it. And I kind of went, oh, right, there's so much more to look out for. And I began just reading up on obsessively analysis and watching as much as I could and kind of going, oh, there's this whole side to it that I didn't know about and didn't notice. Yeah. And I almost ignored when I was doing it. Um, not willingly, I just been completely oblivious to it. Yeah. And it was kind of through that. And it was kind of through particularly re-watching Wales games and beginning to say, oh, actually, so-and-so does this and it's tiny and it's small. Or so-and-so stood here. Why is he running that line? Um, and then when I started doing the channel, it became, I wasn't just watching back Wales games and the odd Ospreys game or the odd particularly big game. You know, I'd watch back like World Cup finals and so on. Yeah. Um, I'd watch back you know, Ireland beating the All Blacks or those kind of big occasions. Um, I began watching back basically everything once it was, even before it was full time as a job, even when it was just, there are now people listening to what I have to say about rugby. And I began to pick up more and more. And I've, again, continued to read up. And I, it's something I've always felt I should probably have credited more sources early on um because there were times i'd read something that the 1014 or murray Kinsella or whoever would say and i go oh that's really interesting and even yeah. if i hadn't then even if they'd said okay so leinster are doing this and i then noticed oh the all blacks are doing the same thing yeah. i feel like maybe i should credit that early on um because i picked up a lot just from reading other analysts and yeah. just knowing what to look out for and just sort of noticing patterns and going oh that's interesting that that fits in here and I think it's genuinely something anyone can pick out if you're just willing to go back and look at things and wonder, just ask why. And again, it's patterns and it's noticing, yeah. oh, that team's done, they've done that twice or they've done that three times. It's worked out slightly different each time or yeah. and so on. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that it's largely self-taught because I assume, mm. you know, it, it's at such a level. What I like about it is it's, it's sort of a high-level analysis brought down to uh, to make it accessible to someone yeah. who's sort of uh, maybe not necessarily into the technicalities of the game. Mm. Whenever you're starting out to making these videos, yeah. you must have identified a gap in the market. Was mm. it a, like a, a eureka moment for you to go, look, there's not much funny, engaging rugby analysis out there. Yeah. I'm going to plug that gap. Exactly. I kind of always had it in my head of why, is, why doesn't this exist? It always been in the back of my head of like, why is no one doing rugby analysis or even like comedy rugby stuff? Yeah. And I just kind of gone, someone else to do it eventually. And there was briefly a channel during the lines in 20 called Hypersport. And I spoke to the guy a couple of times who ran it. Um, and part of my brain just went, oh, it's fine. And, you know, I just, someone else is doing it now. And then he stopped very quickly after a few months. Um, 
and I was kind of had it in the back of my head. And then I wrote a few pieces for Blood and Mud, uh, who do a podcast and they did a website as well. Yeah. Um, I wrote a few pieces for them and they went down well and people liked them and they were kind of getting quite well retweeted and talked about and so on. And I kind of had something click in the back of my head then. I, I accidentally ended up in a job I didn't like, I didn't enjoy. Um, I, I've told this story before, but like the, basically I turned up to the job interview, um, which I've been given by the job center. And they went, so no one else has turned up. So you've got the job. And I felt too kind of polite to just say, no, I don't want it. So I worked for them for two months with the minimum length of the contract. Um, and while I was doing it, I was desperately trying to think of anything else I could do. And I kind of had that idea I've put together, like, oh, what if that idea I'd had, why isn't anyone doing it? What if that was me? Because people like that thing I wrote about rugby. So yeah. maybe that would click together. Yeah. And it was kind of, once I'd had that, more and more pieces began to slot into place. Uh, yeah. It was like a, a minor eureka moment, followed by lots and lots of big boulders falling. Of like, oh, well, the video would look like this, and I'd have to put in that joke, and that would fit in here. And then I, I knew I wanted to make a Sam Warburton one before I started the first video, because, again, I just I got so tired of having arguments about how good Sam Warburton was on Twitter and Reddit and so on with people. And I just wanted to have, like, no, actually, just look at this. Just look at this 10-minute video, and we're done. That's all you need to see of this. <laughs> well, that was, that's a good way of doing it, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> I actually, well, I'll be honest, I watched it. I, I always loved Sam Warburton, but I hadn't, mm. I hadn't appreciated everything he does. And, yeah. Uh, so, genuine listening, definitely give that, give that a listen. Um, so... In terms of, I want to know, tell me a bit more about your background. You mentioned mm. you, you were into writing yeah. and also a bit about sort of your comedy background and mm. uh, that forms a huge part of the videos. Again, I find it so much easier to listen to because it is, it's funny and engaging. That was always kind of the thing I was most interested in was kind of, and it's the way I've always viewed myself, not to be kind of pretentious about it, but I view myself as, like, as a comedy writer and the stuff I'm doing happens to be about rugby at the minute. Um, and the analysis then creeps in, I've become that as it's gone on. Um, so I, I went to uni, I did creative writing there. Uh, and when I was there, I met a couple of my friends and we did this sort of like touring. It was like a, <laughs> it, it was a largely improvised thing in which we'd each write like a segment um, and we wouldn't tell the others anything about our segment. And we then kind of, so we did it as a podcast a bit. And we did, we toured around different comedy festivals and we had kind of a reoccurring slot in um, like locally. Um, and that was going okay. That was going all right. Then we all sort of moved to different cities and I was doing a bit of stand up on the side as well. Um, so I, I, I opened for um, Ian Sterling, who's the voiceover on Love Island. Um, and I was, so I was offered, I could have opened for Joe Lysa, who's now a big deal. It's kind of, yeah. It was about six months before he was suddenly on TV everywhere. Um, only that he was doing two nights, doing one night in Nottingham and one night in Derby, uh, which are kind of two neighbouring cities for anyone yeah, um, in the East Midlands. And the night I was offered was the Derby night. And he, that was also the night that Wales were playing Ireland. And I said, is there any chance I could do the Nottingham night instead? And they said, no we'll book someone else to do the derby night. So I oh, didn't. Uh, oh. Thankfully, Wales won. The, the game of George North got two tries. Because if they hadn't, if they'd lost that. Um, yeah, I'd had this kind of, like, it was, it was all right. Like, it was, it was a solid enough comedy career. It wasn't going many places. I was getting off for the same gigs over and over again. Um, and then 
just before I started the channel, I had the, the, the four of us who'd done that kind of show I'd mentioned. Um, we all ended up moving to different cities after graduating. We'd been about a year. We kind of hung on and it hit a point in which we still weren't, it wasn't sustainable. It didn't make sense for us to be there. Um, so we all found some different cities. We disbanded the, the thing, uh, which is a shame. And I kept doing stand up for a bit. And then I kind of had a moment where, and again, it comes across in the videos of being very much a perfectionist and very much kind of driven by that. And I was just coming off stage every night when I did it and kind of going, even if it went entirely fine and even if people enjoyed it and no one could tell, I was going, oh, I was like a quarter of a second off on the timing on that joke or I got one word wrong in the build up or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that started to bother me. So I thought I'll just take two months off. And in those two months, I made that first video and things took off from there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's sort of as a as a background, it was always comedy writing was the thing I did and comedy was where I went. Um, yeah. And that's been useful in terms of, you say, keeping people engaged. And even though the thing has, sometimes I'll do a video that is far more analysis heavy, but I always try and balance it as best I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th exactly. Obviously, people want the actual content mm. as well. They don't want to joke, uh, joke every couple of seconds. But yeah. it just, it breaks it up nicely. And mm. I suppose to anyone listening, here's my, if I if I were to, to, to describe what Squidward mm. is, again, you tell me if I'm wrong. It's like a combination of like Adam Buxton and okay. Murray, Murray Kinsella. Okay. No, I <laughs> take that. A, I, is that I, a flattering? <laughs> yeah. Oh, massively. Any um, comparison with either of them. Yeah. I'll take yeah, that. I did, the production value of Adam Buxton's podcast and oh. that sort of Brett Brand of humor. And I love, you can tell He's, he pours his heart and soul into that yes. podcast. Which is his great. jingles are better than most songs I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so th th it's that sort of vibe, I suppose. Mm. And I definitely recommend people to go and, uh, and listen to it and watch it because mm. um, well, thank you. It, it's uh, it's fantastic insight to to, to modern rugby. Um, in terms of your your comedy influences, I suppose uh, who who would yeah. you put down as like your favourite comedians out there? People you aspire to. to oh, be like? I mean, there's there's one that's now really it's now. I can't say Woody Allen anymore um, because I've completely come around like he is an awful person. Um, but like, I love Annie Hall and I love this stand up and I, I always found he was endlessly funny. Um, so that's very much a shame. Um, at the moment, there's a, I don't think uh, a show called Nathan for you. There's a guy called Nathan Fielder. Oh yes. A, yeah. Yes. Yes. Who I think <laughs> is a genius. And I think he's, he's it's Nathan for you is I think the greatest piece of comedy I've seen in decades. I think it's incredible uh, because it's endlessly funny and like, and yet it manages to be about something and it's always about his insecurity and it always turns the joke back on him in a way that you never feel, even though the, the kind of setup of the show is this guy goes into like struggling small businesses and pitches them essentially terrible ideas. Like he, he pitches a frozen yogurt shop um, to start a poo flavored uh, you know, dog it, um, and that kind of thing. And yeah, it never feels exploitative. I think it's incredible. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great show. It hasn't really made it over here yet. I've seen no. pieces on YouTube. Mm. Uh, in fact, I've watched as much as I think I possibly can on YouTube. Yeah. And uh, I don't think you don't hear many people talking about it. So that's a great choice. In terms of the um, the end goal, I suppose, if there is mm. an end goal, obviously it's been really, uh, it's really taken off. 
do you have an end goal? Like, is it something you like to do on TV? Do you like to have your own like, radio show? Is, is there, do you have, harbor any ambitions to even like move into rugby in a sort of analysis role? Um, it's almost the opposite. And I kind of hate to say it out loud, but I'd like to get to a point which I can do it on things other than rugby. Um, and I still want to keep rugby flowing, rugby going there. Um, I'd quite like, there's sometimes I'll write a joke and I'll just kind of jot it down on my phone or a notebook, whatever. And I'll then kind of think, oh, but that, that doesn't fit into the fact that Scotland beat France the weekend. Or, you know, that, that doesn't fit into how Munster are doing this season because that's kind of what's on my brain. And I'd quite like to get to a point in which I can balance several projects and I can still be doing the rugby stuff at the Six Nations, at the World Cups, at, you know, whatever else whilst being able to take on other projects that hopefully feel different and I'm not just kind of I don't want to say I'm stuck in it because I'm not and I'm very appreciative and happy with what I'm doing um but that would be in terms of an end goal is to kind of keep stepping up what I'm doing and keep hopefully making it better and improving the quality and I I feel like I am generally um but to yeah keep keep getting better at it, keep it getting more entertaining and hopefully being able to do more things that aren't. <laughs> there's only so many jokes you can work on the word, write on the word ruck, you know. <laughs> there's, there's only so many puns on the word turnover and I ran out of them all in that Sam Warburton video. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, um, it's, it's interesting here. You'll be going on to do different things and I think you build up a skill set from doing this type of thing, don't mm. you? Like, I'm so so early on so early days doing podcasts but the, the just the very basic skills I, i've learned doing this you, you think oh, you can apply this to such and such and, and go on and do yeah. different stuff and um Absolutely. yeah so it's um you know it's good and i look forward to your your sort of projects in the future now um what i was going to ask you is mm. how would you change the way rugby is covered on tv to make it more accessible to spectators, so uh, as, as we're sort of saying at the start, most people sort of watch rugby. Mm. They watch it, uh, it's primarily a social event. Um, mm. you probably noticed the massive tackles, barnstorming runs, uh, great tries, but they wouldn't notice the uh, uh, the technicalities of the game and the, the yeah. of rugby. How do you think maybe coverage could change to make it more accessible, mm. more interesting to spectators? Because you have that experience, I suppose, of gaining a new appreciation for watching the game. Yeah. Um, is, there, is there something that could be done in terms of how it's covered or understood by, by fans, do you think? I think part of it is beginning to happen in that we're seeing more players that play the modern version of the game retiring. So when Sam Warburton was working as a pundit before he went, and to, to keep just banging on about how great Sam Warburton is, um, I don't know if you saw much of him as a pundit, but he's, he was really good because he actually yeah. explained how modern teams approach the breakdown. In a way, someone that, you know, when you've got a player that retired 15 years ago, no matter how good they were at the time, they were playing a different version of the game. Yeah. Um, and like Dylan Hartley was a really good pundit over the Six Nations, which surprised me. But he just, he knew what modern rugby was like because he'd played it six yeah. months ago. Yeah. And suddenly you've got players, and hopefully there's more and more of them coming in, who can tell you what's going on and what the team is actually trying to achieve because rugby change is always changed at quite a rate and it's changing faster and faster. And like, I've been doing this kind of spin-off podcast on the channel looking at the 2011 world cup. And it's so different to look at that, even though nominally it's the same players in a lot of cases and they're kind of playing at a similar pace, 
just the way in which defences are aligned and the way the amount of more, you know, how many more dummy runners you've got now and how many more options everyone's giving an attack is night and day different. It looks it looks more than eight or nine years apart from last World Cup. Yeah. Um, and I think you just need people who recognise that and are able to articulate that coming out of the game. Um, and I think part of it as well is just approaching it as being exciting rather than mm-hmm. being high-level nerdery, which is kind of what it is. Um, but you want people going, actually, it's really interesting that Wales have been using Alan Wynne-Jones on the wing because it's using they're giving themselves an offload option the way most teams would use someone, you know, their quickest forward. Yeah. Um, or just things like that. Or, you know, they have a hooker there to clear out. Um, and it should be addressed as interesting and exciting. And same thing with when, you know, when talking about tier two nations that I there's a lot of the coverage last year in the world cup where people didn't know the players. Um, and it was like Miles Harrison who commented when he was commentating for ITV had cleared in loads of research on the Uruguay and Russia teams. And that was hugely appreciated. It made the games more interesting because people knew who the players were. He was able to give you actual updates on them and he wasn't kind of looking down at his team sheet or he wasn't only referring to the tier one nation. Um, And I think in terms of that's also growing rugby, as a world sport, because yes, yeah. you want to help develop rugby in Uruguay, but it doesn't matter so much if it's like rugby's massive in Madagascar, and no one knows that or cares because no one plays Madagascar. Um, they, you know, they're like like forty something in the world. But we're more likely if we know the Russian players, you're more likely to fix your range against them. I'm now on a tangent from what you're saying, um, but I think a lot of it is on the media to approach. Uh, approach it as exciting and approach it as interesting and kind of go in with a bias towards rugby rather than a lot of the coverage is really quite negative often and he's talking about yeah. oh well the modern game's dying and no one's got any flair or creativity or whatever everyone's getting yeah. injured there's too many replacements just go actually this is what the game is and yeah. it is thrilling and it is exciting and we do all still love it yeah yeah I think there, there's a risk as well I think if you try and water down the game too much mm. and make it uh, broadly appealing to people, you actually it has yeah. the opposite effect. Actually, w- yes. where uh, because they they don't understand the minutiae of the game, and that's actually what's enjoyable about it. It's different. Yeah. To, uh, uh, and, and touching on what you said a wee bit um, about making rugby a global sport, mm. that would be that would be great. And I don't just say that because I like rugby. I genuinely think it's a great game with great yeah. values and uh, does an enormous amount of good for people. I think. Uh, people say the values of rugby are slipping slightly, becoming more like football. I think we're still, I think uh, the rugby community is unique and supportive and inclusive and uh, all all great things. In terms of, James Haskell came out with something quite interesting Mm. recently. uh, I never thought I'd say, but... (laughs) (laughs) But, no, no, I... I, A broken clock (laughs) and all that, yeah. Uh, he, he he was sort of made the point that rugby is, is different. It's 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 not it's not like football where uh, mm. someone off the street can sit down and watch a game. Yeah. Uh, some people playing the game don't necessarily understand rules, let alone spectators. Like James Haskell, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as we famously saw in that Italy game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's a, it's realistic that we that, that rugby can grow to be? A, you know, this global game, or do you think it will always be more niche uh, uh, in terms of its appeal to people? Um, I think it's an interesting question, and I don't think we'll ever see a point in which rugby is the biggest sport in the world. I don't think we yeah. can ever see it overtaking football. 
And I think as such a lot of the things rugby does as a sport is is it follows football and it tries to do what football is doing. And that isn't applicable because, as you said, that, that game is so simple. You can sit down and watch it and you will understand what's going on. Because yeah. the offside law is the only thing that needs explaining. Like, it's not that it's the only comp- it's the, it's complicated. It's just it's the only thing that you need someone to talk you through. Yeah. Every other part of it, complete self-explanatory. You're trying to put that round thing in the net over there for your side, not the other side. Fine. Um, whereas rugby, you've, there's four ways of scoring, and you've then got, even if you ignore the breakdown, and even if you, <laughs> which I think you've got to do when you first get into rugby, no yeah. one can embrace the breakdown right away. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think rugby's definitely got room to grow. I don't know. I don't think it has got the potential to be the biggest sport in the world. Um, but I definitely think you look at how big the last couple of World Cups have been and how they have been consistently the third biggest sporting event of that kind of cycle, that four-year cycle. And there's definitely room to grow it across those nations. Um, and I'd love to see a bigger World Cup and I'd love to see kind of more teams in it. And I don't know the logistics of that. Um, but the World Cup is such a good product as well to yeah. try and get people involved that I'd, I'd love to see it. And I think we are seeing signs of it. Um, and it's a shame things like Germany really improved a couple of years ago. Then the, the owner of Capri's son was bankrolling them massively because um, it turns out he's a massive rugby fan. Um, and he fell out with the national team coach. And so that kind of stalled a bit. Um, but there's a point in which it looked like they might qualify for the World Cup. And we need more just bits like that and more pockets yeah. because rugby's got more rugby's got room to grow in germany rugby's got room to grow in spain rugby's got i mean we've seen it growing in uruguay um and you know argentina and italy and like japan being in japan last year i don't know how much you got of like the atmosphere in japan um or you i I wasn't there i wasn't there sadly i missed that i'm very Ah. jealous so you're out there but uh yeah tell me a bit more about japan yeah well it was so i watched the japan samoa game in osaka uh, no, not Osaka. Um, yes, maybe. Uh, I've completely gone blank on the town's name. Uh, it'll come to me in like an inconvenient point of the night because I'm eating <laughs> something. Um, it was a port town. Uh, and so they, they set up a massive screen against the dock and it was really lovely. And because that Japan game was at sunset as well. Um, but you had, a, this wasn't a city in which there was games on that weekend. Uh, it wasn't Tokyo. It wasn't Kyoto. It was like a, it was a, a middling city. It was, it was a, a a cork, maybe you know, as an equivalent for a for an Irish listener or a, yeah. a, a, a Nottingham, yeah. Um, and yet there were five, six thousand people came out to watch it on that big screen, plus yeah. the people watching it in bars and watching it at home. And that the Scotland game, the last game, the pool game when they qualified, was the most watched TV event in Japanese history. It had the biggest audience share no of way. anything ever. Yeah. And so you kind of really felt that in the lead up, because right, I arrived two weeks out from the World Cup and there was some talk of it. And you saw some posters around. And then by three days out, it was kind of, you knew it was happening wherever you went in Tokyo. Um, but then by the end of the competition, the mass you were, where you went in the country, it was everywhere and everyone was talking yeah. about it. And people were kind of, you know, I had, um, I walked by wearing like a, a whale shirt in uh Beppu, which is kind of a, a smallish kind of or a large town i suppose um and just a car drove by and the guy leant out the window and shouted red dragons <laughs> which i loved 
<laughs> and it became this whole atmosphere. Like Japan loved that the world had come there. And I spoke to another yeah. guy in um, Kumamoto. No, yeah, Kumamoto, which is kind of the next town over from Beppu, uh, where Wales played that last game against Uruguay. And someone said that he'd seen more, because they'd host, I think, three World Cup games, three or four. Um, and he said he'd seen more tourists and more people from the West and from outside Japan visiting Komamoto in the last kind of four weeks than he had in his entire life living there for like 50 yeah. years. Amazing. And he said it was just amazing. Yeah. So you had this combination of them loving the attention they were getting and loving the people yeah. coming over and the people being warm and welcoming because it is that kind of rugby value mindset. And also just them clearly falling in love with rugby. And there's so much opportunity for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, Touch again, just on on that on on the mm. World Cup. I suppose our listeners uh, would be almost entirely Ireland fans, and yeah. and I know that you've covered Ireland, uh, uh, but for those who who maybe mm. didn't uh, or haven't seen all your videos, I think everyone was a bit baffled why this this great uh, Irish team were uh, didn't get off the bus uh, to use yeah. a, 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 a cliche phrase. How would you, I know again you've been through this before, yeah. but uh, I think listeners should be interested in your take on what happened from going from the number one team in the world, mm. uh, beating New Zealand twice in the space of a year, albeit we didn't have a great Six Nations, we got absolutely, uh, we got destroyed by England in Dublin. Um, what, what changed? Uh, mm. Because I, I find it quite confusing. <laughs> what I changed think, for Adam? I kind of, when I watched Ireland play in that 2018, when they're fantastic and winning, I think you lost one game over the whole year, just that first test in Australia, um, which again, if you had the strongest team out, probably would have won. Did a pretty good fighting chance off. Um, and the whole time I was going, this is really impressive, but I feel like this bubble could burst. I feel like Joe Schmidt's got such a regimented game plan that at some point someone's going to figure it out. And my instinct, well, I had this weird feeling the whole time that South Africa were going to, the island were going to go into a quarterfinal against South Africa and South Africa were going to win it by like 15, 20 points and no one would see it coming. Um, and I kind of had that image in the back of my head. And then that game in Dublin against England happened. And he kind of went, oh, someone's done it already, right? Eddie Jones got there first. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unfortunately. And it, yeah. Um, and it was weird because then Josh, I don't know if he adapted because he kind of saw, I think basically both him, Joe Schmidt and Gatland had come up with ways around it, around that game plan. Mm. And it became this blueprint. Um, and I don't think enough was done to beat it. And a lot of it is just getting at them incredibly quickly, which is what England did. And just kind of really throwing everything at them for a passage or two of just at incredible speed. And the rest of the game, you can't keep that up. But if you can just do that, you can, accrue, you can score three tries through having three like, perfect passages of play. And the rest of the game, you just kind of fiddle about and you just kind of did it there. And there's the one try from the intercept, and then you know, two of them were first were set piece moves. Um, and Way was similarly just like shut them down and just defended the whole time and just, you know, very solid, organized defense. Yeah. Um, and then Japan wasn't, Japan was sort of just actually played Ireland's game back at them and they did mm-hmm. it incredibly effectively. They just kept hold of the ball an awful lot and yeah. were just very calm when they got into 22. Um, yeah, fair play to them. It was an amazing yeah. performance. And yeah, I have to say, I was 
I was happy for them in a strange way. Mm. You know, obviously yeah. got gutted, but um, I, I thought it was great, uh, particularly because it was Japan, uh, yeah. and they seemed, seemed to embrace the, the World Cup so yeah. much. I was just like, look, if you're going to get beaten by anyone, as yeah. slightly as embarrassing as it was at the time, <laughs> um, for, for a play to them. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it just seemed like there was no plan B. I think in the, in the build-up, an article... I wrote was about how Smith must have something up his sleeve. Yeah, <laughs> I assume that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the All Blacks were very, very good in that quarterfinal as well. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have kind of assumed because they lost to England the following week. But I think there was something in that, in the way England's final was that game against the All Blacks. Yeah. There was something in the All Blacks when they'd beaten us twice, lads. Right? And they weren't expecting yeah. to have that game so early on. Because they obviously they were expecting to face Japan or Scotland, um, I think that threw them, and I think they went all out for that game. Uh, and some of the things they were doing were hugely impressive. Like it was a pr- it was as good a performance as we saw from anyone in that World Cup. Just they then couldn't yeah. do it the following week. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was interesting, and I think the, the Japan game is the one that stands out. Um, as you say, it was just there wasn't really a plan B and there was kind of one piece of analysis Schmidt clearly done on how Japan used their wingers. That they scored off twice. Yeah. And then Japan kind of fixed that and Ireland didn't have anything else they could fall back on. Yeah. And you, well, you've, you've got one play you, you thought you could use against this team and they're just, they're better than I think anyone was anticipating. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So in terms of obviously uh, Ireland have been through a bit of a dip, but in terms of the next sort of rugby playing superpower, so international rugby superpower, rather, yeah. I think I might know the answer because if you've produced a video on it. But for listeners, um, who is the sort of, if you were to pick a World Cup, the next World Cup winner, who would you go for and why? <laughs> okay, my instinct four years out is and again every world cup prediction you have to say if it isn't the all blacks but yeah. um is france i just i really like look at this france team and i felt this before the six nations and i think they were fantastic in it and then they also had that one game against scotland which feels a bit you know the way the england 2003 team kept losing one game in the lead up to a grand slam mm. i don't know if there's going to be something of that about them then they finally click closer out because it's a really young team and there's so much potential. I mean, the oldest player in their back line, other than Teddy Tomba, who's a complete liability, but I love him, um, is kind of Anton Dupont is like 23. And they're, oh, to be fact, that's, that, that's not true. Um, <laughs> everything I just, but yeah, Anton Dupont's 23. You've got Untamaku's 20. You've got like Gregory Audrey playing like he's got 100 caps. He's 23 yeah. as well. Yeah. That team is young enough to be really peaking at 2023, and a lot of them are young enough to still be playing at 2027 as well. Yeah. So I think they're going to be really interesting how they build, and especially if it being a home World Cup as well, yeah. that's going to be fascinating. I yeah. think as well, though, the Springboks have rebuilt to a sufficient point at which you feel this could be a dynasty. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the Lions Tour really interesting, and then how they approach that defence of the title in 2023 is going to be, again, really fascinating to watch yeah i know i love the the video about the, the french team and it's exciting mm. and there are, there are guys that you cited in the video who haven't even burst onto the scene yet yeah uh, it is amazing and it's <laughs> as you said it's a ridiculously young team an exciting mm. team as well so i genuinely hope they do well I, i'd like to see france return as a sort of rugby international yeah. superpower 
just because they're just enjoyable to watch. You never know yeah. next, and it just makes their game so exciting. So, um, you mentioned earlier about even since you've you've been sort of really into rugby, it's mm. changed so much. And yeah. you mentioned a couple of examples, but how how would you say you know? In what ways do you think rugby has changed substantially over, say, the past 10 years? Uh, what would be the major things? And, and maybe uh, as an add-on to that, how do you, how do you anticipate it will change? Uh, obviously, there, there, there's chat about new, new tackling laws, there, there yeah. may be uh, sort of a new kicking rule as well brought in. Uh, how has it changed and how do you anticipate it might change in the future? Um. So I think the main thing that stands out is how organised defences are now. And it's the obvious thing you go to. But again, watch, I've, because I've watched the first sort of five or six games of the 2011 World Cup back lately in the last couple of weeks, um, it's really interesting that at that point, we, developed, we got to such a point that the line speed was really impressive. But, pardon me, sorry. Um, the defence wasn't aligning around each other and they weren't organised in that way. So there's a few points in like the England Argentina game, uh, which is a really dull match to watch. Uh, but it's kind of it's the one game that's really just going. There's only one try in it, in which teams are just flying up in the face rather than actually going up as a, a really fast line. Um, and we begin to see more and more evolutions of that because that kind of came with the you know, Sean Edwards and then Andy Farrell um, even more so. And so the Andy Farrell line where it becomes like a the whole pitch is covered. You've got 14 men up in the line and just kind of Carney behind and the winger drops slightly back in case he needs a chase, mm-hmm. um, which was an interesting innovation. And then John Mitchell of England coming in and doing this kind of diagonal blitz to kind of force you out to the touchline. Yeah. Um, and there've been so many innovations within that and the spring box kind of pincering in from outside inwards. Um, and then it's become interesting that I think in the last, last just over a year-ish, not quite 18 months, it's began to swing back to teams are working out ways around it. And you're seeing so much of this kind of a pod of forwards and they're playing out the back to someone else who's then got a pod of forwards or more backs. And we'll see attacking patterns are so much more intricate now than they were even two years ago, never mind, you know, 10 years ago, never mind five, six years ago. Um, And forwards in particular are so much more aware and it's strange going back and watching. There's a few points in, again, just to keep using the 2011 example, in which you go, oh, nowadays a forward to throw that path will be able to throw that offload. But they just, even if they have the skill set, they don't have the presence of mind and they're not being coached to look for it. Yeah. Um, and you've also got the old centre who couldn't throw a pass off his left hand or whatever still existed back then. And now I think, in terms of where it's heading, I think we're going to see more and more, and Eddie Jones said this as well, homogenization of positions. Yeah. Um, and there's a few really interesting points that Wales did in the Six Nations and Italy did in the Six Nations. I think, weirdly, even though they didn't have particularly strong tournaments, especially not by Wales' standards in the Gatland, they, the two of them looked like the teams that were pushing rugby forward the most yeah. in a way that I think England and Ireland and England and Ireland were kind of playing like popular evolution to what was working in the World Cup um, with slight tweaks. And France were France. Um, but France were just kind of they designed a game plan to get the most out of Dupont really um, yeah. in a lot of ways uh, whereas Wales were often dropping Faletau or Tipperick in as their first receiver um, and kind of using him as a fly half and using him to drop off passes um, or to kind of link up as an back 
and it's equally use Hadley Parks as an extra forward and it sometimes have like a that kind of set of port forwards fly off passing into one of them and instead it would go straight past their face into Hadley Park who'd crash it up and I think we're going to see more and more of that of just backs and forwards becoming more and more alike um, yeah. which will probably then just because that's how it always happens it'll then lead back eventually to positions becoming more and more specialised because everything's become the same um, yeah. and rugby tends to be quite cyclical like that it just becomes higher and higher levels of that um, yeah. that's a really rambly answer but I, that's my instinct, is that we'll see more and more forward passing. We'll see more and more hookers and back rowers who are kind of able to fill in as basically centres. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it seems to be the way things are going. Certainly uh, uh, at Ulster, for example. Yeah. Uh, just, to, just to drop Ulster yes. into yes. this conversation yeah. a bit. We, we, got, uh, we benefited massively from Leinster uh, cast-offs, but it's yes. unkindly. But uh, the overflow of talent, we, we've got a number of their yeah. guys, uh, one of which, well, originally Leinster, uh, Morty Moore has joined us mm-hmm. as, a, as our new tight head as of a couple of seasons ago. And it's funny because whenever he arrived, we've this great new coach, Dan McFarland, yeah. he basically said to Morty Moore, you can no longer, you can't just be a prop anymore. Like you can't, yeah. you can't literally stand in the scrum anymore. You have to make contributions around the pitch, and that's just the way the modern game's going. If you look at the shape of Marty Moore, <laughs> he's, yeah. a very, he's a very traditional uh, prop. Yes. <laughs> you can say that, yeah, 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 and uh, yeah. You just really notice he's he's really upped Ulster's game uh, mm. by doing that and incorporating in, incorporating those guys front rowers into mm. the overall game, pods of runners, yeah. and you don't know where the ball's going. I think. Uh, one of the things we talked about with Ireland was predictability. Yeah, you, you could see. I could tell, and I'm no rugby expert. I could. See, you could. See everyone in the stadium knew who the ball was going to. Yeah. Whereas now you've got a bit of mo- at Ulster. There, there's a bit of movement uh, yeah. with these pods of forwards, and everyone is is likely to catch. Uh, is able to to catch and yeah. carry, which do basic stuff like that. So I um, really like Kieran Treadwell for that as well. I yeah. think he's a terrific player, and I don't think yeah. enough people talk about him. Yeah, yeah, good point. Kieran Treadwell's um, he he doesn't get enough recognition, and that's mm. that's the, often the problem with with second rows who, who sort of yeah. uh, primarily work at the cold face and, and yeah. move downs. Kieran Treadwell's really quick and can make yeah. breaks, uh, <laughs> and increasingly you have to have a bit of that. Yeah, it's no longer enough to be one of these sort of tight head locks, which uh, you need to be able to to to, to carry and yeah. uh, and get around and make your tackles as well. But Treadwell is a good example. It, He's it, got that kind of like Guido Petty thing for Argentina, yeah. where he he does like he'll do four games in which he'll just be as he said, cold face, just clearing out rucks, just hard carries. Then suddenly he'll make a break out of nowhere. And you'd be like, oh, he's rapid. And Treadwell's <laughs> got that. He's like a he's like an O Petty. Which doesn't make his name. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I like him a lot. Sorry, continue. I just... Yeah, no, he's great. But that, that's um, it's interesting. Have you followed much of Ulster? I suppose you watch so much rugby. Mm. It must be hard to fit in every game. But have you followed a bit of Ulster and seen their progression? I suppose uh, highly publicised um, dark times, dark days for Ulster about two seasons ago. Yeah, Every, everyone left. Um, uh, changing of the guards, and mm. uh, it took us a while, but. As, as I say, Dan McFarland has, has, has come in 
have you been have you witnessed much of that change and you have any sort of opinions on Ulster as a, as maybe interesting for listeners to hear from an outside perspective uh, yeah what, what people think of Ulster I know I rated Ulster very high until that game where you lost the Ospreys which was a <laughs> miracle I don't know how that happened <laughs> which officially makes you the worst team in the world speaking as an Ospreys fan um, but even I think you say because the attacking game has evolved at such a rate in the last season and a half, I think under McFarlane largely. Um, and I think the, from a, as I say, an outside perspective, um, and I watched sort of a lot of the, the big games I watched, particularly, you know, the games against the Welsh teams I watched universally. Um, but it does become, I'm sure you're exactly the same of you can't watch every Pro Bowl team game. You can't fit them all in. Um, I I really like the way the Ulster attack is going, and I really, as you say, it's options and it's being able to use players like Treadwell, like Moore, as you mentioned, like you know, Jack McGraw when he's fit. Um, all of them, you're increasingly able to use forwards as distributors, which is really yeah. interesting. Um, and the way that John Cooney's just become out of nowhere, he is now Ruin Pinot. Like he's just he turned up in that white nine shirt and went, Oh yeah, I'm repeating on that. Like, okay, that's how this works. Like <laughs> fine. <laughs> it's, funny, it's funny you say that. Like um one of the interviews I did was was with Cooney. And right. you're completely right. He he says whenever he arrived, he said he spoke to a sports psychologist, which shockingly Ulster don't have an in house sports psychologist. In fact, mm. I don't think wow. that many teams have sports psychologists. Yeah. Certainly uh, the Irish provinces, uh, apparently it's, it's not a common thing. I think there's one made, uh, one made, made yeah. available to you if, you if you want. But yeah. Cooney, Cooney was giving the advice, go in and act like you're the Ireland scrum half. And mm. uh, he said that changed everything for him. He went uh, he went into training and he trained as if he was the Ireland scrum half. And he said right. every every part of his daily routine. And yeah. he's, been a, he's been a complete revelation. Like yeah. he's, uh, I think he deserves to, to, to maybe get some more international caps. Uh, yeah. Uh, a big up drum again. But uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, he, he's been fantastic as well. Mm. So, uh, and we do, we actually have a, a very young, young Ulster team as well. So, uh, mm. it's, yeah. for, you know, from my perspective, just, yeah. uh, it, it, it's, it's positive. It's, and uh, we've been through some dark times, but we're, we're, we're coming back now. And I almost forget how young a lot of that team is. Yeah, and I had um, it was one game recently. I remember Bill Johnson coming off the bench. Like, I'm like, oh, is he still playing? And he's 23, <laughs> and it's almost like uh, I've got so used to a lot of these players because they've they've ever seen a lot of time. Um, and like, Jacob Stockdale, obviously, being yeah. having the career he's had by he's what 23, 24, yeah, about yeah. that age, and he's got yeah. 25 caps, maybe, yeah, um, something like that, you know, coming up on 30, probably, yeah, and so it's a it's it's a young team, but they've also got enough experience between them that you feel yeah. like they've got the potential very much to click. And they've got someone in Cooney who is that kind of talisman, who is yeah. that kind of... And it's awful, but I think it probably adds something that he keeps being slept on for Ireland and he's kind of sat on the bench during that Six Nations. And it almost adds a like a point for him to prove and a point for fans to go, no, he's, he's a bloody best scrum off in, in Europe at the minute. <laughs> yeah. um, which, DuPont aside, he's got a very good shout at. Um, yeah. And I, I think that kind of adds something to the team. That kind of internal, like no one rates us, no one takes us on, 
and there is something of that with Ulster, and then you lose the Ospreys, yeah. but aside from that. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, let's forget about that. Yeah. Oh, it's all we've got to celebrate. It's literally all we've got to celebrate the season. We scored like more than one try. That hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh no i'm glad we could give that to you anyway thank you it's hugely appreciated and you did have to give it to us like we tried very hard to let you win at the end um yeah it's uh i i remember i would occasionally comment on, on these sorts of um uh rugby fan pages on mm. facebook and i got absolutely destroyed um for putting uh, there is a sort of pick your british lions team Right. Yeah, but I put Cooney in at scrum half, and people went berserk. I didn't. Uh, so I didn't actually include very many Welsh players, which also <laughs> got. I got a lot of flack for that as well. It's just because I don't. I probably. I don't. I think naturally, I don't know as many Welsh players. So, yeah. Um. I did, but I've no doubt there's. I. I think that's a really interesting shout. Actually, I. It. It hadn't occurred. I hadn't thought about it. Um. But I think he'd be. He'd suit that game. The game I assume Gatlin is going to play against the Springboks, I don't know the details of that, but he feels like a really good choice for that. In a way, Ben Youngs you can't pick, um, and I feel like all of the three Welsh nines are too up and down. Uh, like Gareth Davis is an incredibly talented player, but he's thick. Like he will just occasionally do something completely stupid. Yeah, um, yeah. he's kind of a liability in that Reese Webb similarly just hasn't played rugby hasn't played much rugby for the last two years so he's kind of he looks very rusty every time I see him play yeah and then Ali Price and George Horn and so on I like but I don't I don't see any of them starting to come off yeah it's a and really Conor, hard position yeah, yeah suddenly you say that and I I feel like if I was in charge I might take John Cooney yeah I might go yeah, yeah. I haven't been giving it that much thought. Um, well, I, I had one long conversation with my brother about it, and we're like, we've got that out of the way now. We don't, we can. But I think, I think John Cooney would go for me. Yeah, now you well, say I, that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, <laughs> as I would, <laughs> no bias at all. <laughs> I think, I think he's uh, he's a big game player. Actually, he's got <laughs> he's got balls of steel. To do it's yeah. his last last minute kicks, and he thrives. Yeah, yeah absolutely thrives uh, on that stage. So. Yeah, I, th- I think I think reading with a shout, fingers crossed. Um, mm. The final sort of thing I was going to ask you is mm. best young players coming through at the minute. So we can look at this from the perspective of maybe um, sort of lions, lions bolters, but or just okay. generally, generally as well. You know, in terms of world rugby, is there anyone that you've come across in the course of your uh, your many hours of research and you think this guy's going to be the next big thing? Okay. Um, I think the obvious place to start is that France team, yeah. um, where because so many of them are so good and they just won the Junior World Championship twice in a row, yeah. um, which obviously shows there's there's some pedigree there. Uh, so in amongst the Intermax and so on that we've already seen, uh, there's a guy called uh, Jordan Joseph who is enormous in number eight. Um, he's already played something like 15 games for Racing, even though he's he's 18, um, and he scored like three tries and he's quick and he's big. And he's just kind of a complete freak of nature. And you think if any French management can get the most out of him, and France yeah. do have a history of kind of blowing players who have all the physical talents and yet couldn't do anything with it, I think yeah. he's a really interesting one to watch. Um, and the other player in the France team I, I really like is, who was in the 20s as well, uh, is a fly half called Louis Carbonell, who is just a massive shit house, And he just kind of, he seems to just do, 
he could easily be the most despised player since Quade Cooper. And I love that. I love he kind of does things just to piss the opposition off. And he'd be throwing like behind the ball passes, behind the back passes and so on. Just just because it'll wind the fullback up. Um, yeah. he famously the France's winning try in that first World Cup final, first in twenties World Cup final. Dummy's taking the conversion, points and laughs at the England player who <laughs> runs up to charge him down, then knocks it over casually. Um, I think that's like that 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 delighted me. Um, I never fly half sort of from that perspective. There's a guy I've been hyping up when I first saw him play when I, he was, I think like 16, 17. I saw him playing for the Wales under 18s against England. Uh, Sam Costello, who I think is brilliant, uh, or could be. He's just signed, he was at Leicester Tigers. Uh, and he's just signed for the Scarlets for next season. And he should be really interesting to watch. He's just a really balanced runner. And he's actually got... He's the kind of player who is very much an attacking fly half, but he occasionally pulls out these huge tackles as well. So there's enough promise that he could do it all as well. Uh, and I'm trying to think, I'm sure there's a couple of really good players in the Islands in the 20s this year as well. Um, uh, I really... Uh, Oh, sorry. The halfbacks in the Italy team as well, in the Italy in the 20s this year were fantastic. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and I've forgotten their names, but... That will come to me eventually as well. But yeah, I'm oh, sorry, the, the Ireland team, I can't remember. Um, the, I mean, you're say? no, I was going to say there, there's a few a few names. Um, mm. Stuart Moore is, is a great player, mm. uh, Lewis Finley. Um, Stuart Moore's an outside yes. centre. Lewis Finley. Lewis Finley, yes. He's from half. Um, and you've got, uh, he's slightly older, uh, Ryan Burrs for Lanster. He's the yeah, center. oh, yes. Um, yeah, he's. He, Suddenly, he, incredibly obvious. He does everything. He's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's fantastic. He's, I think he's another James Ryan in the making. Yeah. Hopefully, so, um, um, I, I think, um, Rhiannon Garth Jones, who actually rugby passed a friend of mine, and she did a piece, or she's writing a piece at the moment on Ryan Bird. I don't know if you're saying this. Uh, she hasn't finished it. Um, but you're saying she watched a moment and he hit four rucks in a row, then made a clean break. <laughs> and it's like he's ridiculous. And obviously, that try game against Glasgow, he's got a hat trick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he's he should have come to mind straight away because he's going to be very he already is he's yeah, already yeah. sort of dominating at pro 14 level and yeah. it's only a matter of time until he's he's wearing green and he's and he's signed for Connor or oh, he's yeah, uh, yeah. He's, Ryland, yeah. <laughs> he's he's unbelievable um so yeah. uh it's exciting the, the, the amount of talent coming through there a number of those guys are from Ulster that I was mentioning complete again yes. completely like just because the ones I've come across but it's fantastic. You're, again, youth rugby is, is something which I need to focus more on. I think there's a bit of a niche there. Do you know a bit of a gap in the market? Always looking yeah. for something. And uh, uh, following the under 20 is something I need to do yeah. more of, actually. But, um, so, uh, Craig Casey, the Munster Scrum Art as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who, so, yeah, Craig, who I... Yes, I think you're right. Yeah, Craig yeah. O'Connor Casey, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I went to see the Ospreys play Munster just kind of as a trip out. As much as any, I wasn't expecting anything. Uh, though I did get to see Tipperick play in the centre, so that was exciting. Um, but, uh, yeah, everyone in Munster was so excited about the thought of Craig Casey. And they right. kept saying, he sounds like Peter Stringer. Like, that's a good thing. Like, yeah. like someone would aspire to look like Peter Stringer. Uh, <laughs> no, but he's kind of, he is kind of in that mould, but young and innocent looking, which is the opposite of how you picture Peter Stringer. Yeah. Um, sorry, I interrupted your flow, but I just had him pop into my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it, it's right that there's there's actually a conveyor belt of, of of good young Irish talent coming through as well. Mm. So I'm quite reassured yeah. by that. But it, it appears it's the exact same for France as well. So yeah. Um, and obviously, obviously, you know what 
there's, there's good Welsh players coming through. So I mean, the future of rugby is bright anyway mm-hmm. for, for, for potentially the, the next Lions tour. I wonder, wonder if any of these yeah. guys will make it in time to, um, uh, to make it on the tour. I always like it when you get a couple of sort of young, young guys included who might not necessarily yeah. be established internationals, but it's good, good for them to be there. But, um, yeah, the so, to- sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, just a Lions tour for a lot of those players. Ryan Baird is an outside shout. He could make a Lions. He could maybe make it. I can see Sam Costello, even though he's 19, winning caps next season Um, Mm. because he was training the Wales squad a bit as well in the Six Nations. Uh, But just because the competition at 10, he won't make it. But yeah, Ryan Baird is... I suppose there's still a lot of competition in the second row. You've got the the four English players. You've got Alan Wynn. You've got etc. James Ryan, obviously. Um... But he's an outside shout. Tyke Byrne yeah. as well. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm mentally just running through players now. Uh, yeah. So you've been it's... making two more interesting points. I've just cut you off. <laughs> no, I, I love speculating about uh, mm. sort of the upcoming Lions tour. It's one of my favourite things. I absolutely love it. I just think it's a great yeah. one of the one of the best things in rugby. Oh, and the best. day the squad's announced is the yeah. best. Yeah. That's sitting yeah. down and watching it and kind of doing that maths in your head as you go like, oh, so they've got to D, so Dan Bigger isn't in. And they're yeah. you know, doing the yeah. surnames in your head and thinking like, oh, Murray's, uh, okay, no, they're still coming up. Yeah. I, I love it, all of that. I love that. Yes, day. exactly. The inevitable debates after it as well. Yeah. Online and with people, um, I, I, I just think it's great. And um, yeah, we'll not, we'll not go through the Lions tour or anything like that, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on 10, 10 12, or 13. This Lions. Okay. I'd say for me, the forwards are maybe slightly easier to pick. 10, 12, 13. Who, mm. would, you, who would you go for, for, for? So, if Jonathan Davis is fit, he plays 13 for me. That's yeah. done. That's a done deal. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's. A, I, I like Gary Ringrose, and I think Tulang is a good player, but Henry Slade's played some nice rugby, etc. But I, Foxy's, Foxy's in for me. Uh, 10 is the really interesting question mm. because you then that then depends on because I think Farrell has to be in the team and it, Chris Farrell no uh, Owen Farrell has to be in the team <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and it just comes down to does he play 10 or 12 and it would be really interesting to see him play 12 with Finn Russell at 10 which mm. gives Finn just a complete safety blanket Um for me, I feel like Sexton isn't in the conversation based on the last year. Completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the the problem with Dan Bigger is he's almost too similar a player to um, to Farrell. Yeah. So I almost feel like you take you take one of Farrell and Bigger because they're the same sort of player. You take one of Ford or Anscombe because they're the same sort of player, mm-hmm. and Sexton kind of fits in somewhere between those two. And then you take Finn Russell as a wild card. And like the only player that compares to him is Danny Cipriani, who hasn't played international rugby, well, played one <laughs> test in the last five years. Um, and so he kind of, I think it becomes, you take Finn Russell definitely, you take Owen Farrell definitely, and then you take, whichever, on form I'd take Ford, um, because I think he had a fantastic Six Nations. I think if it was based on the previous Six Nations, you'd be taking Anscombe because he's a similar player, but he'd had, he was on better form. And yeah. you take that kind of as a just a ten who does almost the nuts and bolts and does the things you want from a ten, and yeah. not a lot more. But he kind of runs the game, he delivers all his passes, he takes his kicks, he finds the corners, puts shape on the thing. Um, and I like the thought of either having Finn Russell doing mad shit with Farrell as kind of as I say his safety blanket at twelve, yeah. or 
Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the way I'm going to go. I'm going to go Finn Russell, Farrell, and Jonathan Davis. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's that's great. I have to say, it's very hard to argue with that. I, uh, whenever I picked my team, I had Finn Russell and uh, uh, hmm. Farrell, and to be honest, I'd put uh, two laggy in at outside. But, yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually, I actually, in reflection, pro- probably. I'm obviously very easily persuaded because I, <laughs> I think Davies is an unbelievable player and, uh, and mm. deserves to start. But I just, it's for the same reason that you'd bring Finn, Finn Russell to a laggy, you just maybe give you a yeah. bit more, um, I don't know, may, maybe entertainment or something like that. But I think Davies is a better player. So it's interesting. I love all this. Like, I think uh, so much of it comes down to the defence as well. And I think yeah. the way Foxy just reads a line and is able yeah. to just come in. And I could watch all day him just coming out of the line and smashing people and killing the attack. I love yeah. that. And yeah. I think that's as much why he's in for the fact that he is great with the ball in hand. Yeah, yeah. No, he's, he's, he's unbelievable. So I can't, I can't mm. wait for that. Are you going to go on the Lions yeah. tour? Is that- I don't know. Um, I've started looking, but they only seem to be selling tickets to people buying like the full package deals. Right, okay. And I'd quite like to do what I did in Japan and just kind of dawdle around on my own and just kind of make it up as I go along. Yeah, um, yeah. I'd love to. Are you? No, uh, well, I, I would love to. And I've, for about the past two tours, I've, I've said, do you know, a couple of mm. years in advance, right, I'm definitely going in this one. Mm. And then it comes to um, costing the whole thing. <laughs> very, very quickly, yeah. change my mind. But uh, yeah. um, it's sort of a lifetime goal. I'd love to, to right. do, it, do it properly yeah. and, and follow yeah, yeah. around. It would be amazing. So, um, and, and it got fun because the next sorry, World Cup's in sorry because the next World Cup's in France as well, and that's far more achievable sort of yeah. money wise than Japan. Yeah. Whereas I was saving for five years for Japan. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I am kind of going. Oh, I could, I could probably put some aside for South Africa. But sorry, yeah. go on. Uh, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no. I think I, I'd be the same. I need to, I need to start thinking about it now. Mm. Uh, it's hard, hard to think ahead to when we're actually going to be able to travel and stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah. So something, something to look forward to anyway. And um, the final sort of thing I was going to ask you about is the the podcast that you're doing now. And mm. I, I listened to the first episode and really oh, enjoyed you. it. And I thought it was oh, really cool that you're doing it with. Um, this guy you've known since you were two and he was a baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, it's Ro- Robbie's brother and, and do do the podcast together, which is great. Is that going to be the format from now on? Both of you do it? Is he yeah. equally, is he, is he, he seems quite similar both in terms of sense of humour and uh, passion for rugby. So a great, <laughs> a great, a great pair. It's funny that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it was a thing I think you said that a lot of our conversations are just us kind of bullshitting about rugby. And there's once or twice I've kind of gone, we've just been like, whenever I've gone back to my mum's and we've just been sat in the kitchen and I've kind of thought, I bet people would want to listen to this actually. Like we're just chatting shit, but actually we've been having like a reasonably high level rugby analysis session. Um, and we kind of had this idea before the last World Cup of going back over every game of a World Cup in the lead up and doing a podcast on each episode. Um, and so kind of flew with that and obviously with being locked down and everything, it was then just quite nice to add something on. I, I like to keep busy. You know, he, he needs something to keep himself busy. So it's been good with that. Uh, and in terms of the format, it's going to be the two of us every episode. And then we've got some guests coming on. So I mentioned Rihanna Goff Jones from Rugby Pass. She's going to be on. We've recorded one for Sam Lana from Rugby World and Planet Rugby as well. Um, there's a few more I've got lined up that we haven't had on yet, but like Paul Williams um, and a few others who are kind of who agreed to do it, the Free Red Kings, uh, or Tom from the Free Red Kings. Um, yeah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's fantastic. Um, and I met him when I was over in months and he's yeah, lovely and bought me like free drinks. So I appreciate that even more. Um, 
so yeah, there's a there's a few special guests lined up as well for different episodes. Uh, so that's the idea. That's the plan. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited. I'm just enjoying doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really good. I'm looking forward to that. Now I do enjoy reminiscing about these games and uh, yeah. probably games I didn't even watch at the time uh, to, just <laughs> to hear your perspective on them because it is yeah. a, it is a mix uh, and you do you hear so much about the sort of classic games, but you're you're doing a whole mix yeah. of, of games and yeah. like sort of chronologically following uh, yeah. the games through, which is great. Um, and the I'll say just. The thing as well with when people say we're just going to do classic games, for me, my favourite game of that World Cup, other than the final, um, was Namibia against Fiji, which was amazing. Because I don't know if you, you remember it, if you saw it at the time. I remember. Um, remind me, remind me. So uh, Fiji scored a try pretty much right. Oh, first minute of the game, Namibia kick a penalty from 60 yards out. Uh, then Fiji score a try. Then Namibia get downfield, drop a goal. Fiji score a try. And Namibia drop three goals in the first 20 minutes. Um, and it's just this ridiculous back and forth of like completely contrasting styles of rugby that feature yeah. throwing these mad off lows and doing these like, you know, 19 meter individual efforts and flowing moves. And Namibia are just playing such wonderfully negative rugby and dropping goal <laughs> every time they get into 22. They're taking every penalty shot from anywhere on the pitch. <laughs> and it's these two teams are completely contrasting ideas of what yeah. rugby is, just charging at each other. And yeah. it finishes like there was like 80 points scored. It was brilliant. I loved it. Um, I know that. It's good because. To an extent, uh, once you get to the very highest level of rugby, yeah, it, teams will basically be playing the same way, unless yeah. it's sort of like someone daft like France and they, they end up <laughs> going, off, going yeah. off script completely. But uh, with some subtle variations, it's largely similar. But once you get down to sort of tier two nations, mm. they probably haven't done as much homework or maybe not as defensively disciplined, and that actually yeah. makes it far more entertaining. So yeah, I know yeah, what you absolutely. mean. Like, those games can be classics in their own right as well. And final final thing is, uh, I'm just interested to know, um, apart from rugby, what, what sort of other podcasts would you end up doing? What are your other interests outside of rugby? Um, I am a big film person. I watch a lot of films. Um, I've kind of had this mission of like watching at least 365 films a year since about 2013. Um, and I'm well on track to pass that with lockdown. I can tell you that. Um, so I'll watch normally when cinemas are open, I'll watch like 150, 200 films a year. I try and just see basically everything. Um, that's always just been kind of like the other passion, the other thing I could talk for hours about. Um, and that's another sort of long-term goal is, is film. Um, that's cool. But yeah, so that's the other thing. And then I guess comedy in general, I've always been yeah. quite passionate about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, film is the other big one. Those are the kind of two big pillars in my kind of interests, I guess. Amazing. No, I look forward to, to whenever you get around to doing it. I'm, I'm sure you're sort of take, your time is largely taken up uh, with the rugby at the minute, but uh, mm. I really look forward to your new stuff as well. And uh, yeah, anyone listening, definitely give uh, Squidge Rugby uh, a watch and listen. Um, because uh, you'll learn a lot and uh, it's very funny as well so uh, Robbie thanks so much for your time I really appreciate it I, really, I could speak to you for hours but um, I, I've already kept you for, for uh, over an hour there so um, thanks again lovely to speak to you thank you for having me I enjoyed it thank you that's great great <laughs>